Elizabeth Barrett is a wife, mother, grandmother, licensed marriage and family therapist, educator, eavesdropper, and emotion worker, and she uses all of those skills to address the subjects that we're all grappling with in this conversation with the reluctant therapist. Happy Healthy Tuesday, Elizabeth. Welcome. Thank you, Brad. Where are we? Where are you <laughs> going to take us today? I, you know, I, I am in. A, I'm completely in the dark as to what we're doing today. As am I. No. What <laughs> I as usually am. But. Most people are because I kind of grab the thoughts of the week before, prior, and then they kind of come together and gel into some sort of theme. So for today's show, many thoughts have come together. Um, and they're taking up a lot of space in my head. And so I'm going to try to sort them out with you today. That, that's the goal. So I'm going to start. And that's going to sound a little petty, but st- so stick with me here because <clears throat> there is a point. This I'm listening. All right. So a neighbor of ours down a few streets has put some light in his palm tree that blinks different colors All night, like I'm in Las Vegas. And when I thought it was part of the Christmas decorations, I was like, okay, you know, kind of obnoxious, but it's Christmas. But now it is February and the palm tree is still illuminated. And I don't like feeling like I live in Las Vegas, which is part of the other train of thoughts that are on my head today. Um, But that really bothers me. And I've seen more of these palm tree lights showing up in different places around the Central Coast while I'm driving. And I feel sad that more people don't recognize the value of dark skies and how good that is for our mental health and how peaceful it is to be in places of deep darkness. That also goes to my neighbor behind me who put some string of weird lights on their balcony out the back of their house about a year ago and never turned them off, ever. They can't see them, but it shines into my house. And so I now have from both sides of my home people who think that these lights are a gift to the neighborhood when it's really obnoxious. And again, if you disagree, that's why we have a phone number (laughs) for you to call in and share your thoughts. But that's one part that builds on this story. The other part is that I have this great dislike for the sphere in Las Vegas um, for many reasons, the largest one now being that I thought about maybe going to see Dead & Co. at the sphere when they announced this run. I thought of you when uh, when I saw it. I thought, they're going to be going. We're going to be going. Yes, but no, for these reasons. The cost of tickets is ridiculous. Two, it feels like such an incredible sellout for a band who began in the era of social revolution and fighting against consumerism and or not fighting against, but, you know, just kind of being the, the counterculture. And now not only are they not the counterculture, they're in the center of the consumerist overspend that is Las Vegas, in the center of it, in this sphere. And also, may I add to you, Bradley, 
that when you look at the notes about the sphere, they have a whole section on what to do so that you don't get vertigo, pass out, get dizzy, or barf when you're in the sphere because of the light shows and all the movement and motion that go along with it. That can't be normal or okay for the human species. Number four, yesterday I was at school getting ready to do my lecture and there's a lot of landscape people all over campus wonderfully cleaning up because it was a mess. There was you know storm debris everywhere. And someone <clears throat> had a leaf blower right outside of my classroom in this courtyard. So it was echoing everywhere and proceeded to blow the concrete because we all looked out the window and there were no leaves to be seen. But clearly he'd been assigned to that section. So gosh darn it, he was going to leaf blow for his entire time period. And it was so loud and so obnoxious that I couldn't lecture easily. I had to yell over the sound of the leaf blower, which actually led into what I was lecturing about yesterday, which is the book Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. And I know it might feel like we're all over the place, but it's all going to come together. It's all going to come together. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Okay. I'm, I'm here with you. Okay. So if you haven't read Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, that's a bummer because you probably should have. Um, it won the Turner Award for Most Innovative Novel 28 years ago. Um, it's a phenomenal story. Um, my husband and I actually gift it to people when we're making new friends so that we can figure out if we're on this you know, aligned in our thinking. But if you haven't read Ishmael, Ishmael yet, the basic synopsis is a critique of how we have become captives as a, of a cultural narrative that compels us in this narrative, the way we are compelled to live, to destroy the environment and everything around us in the name of progress and to kind of strip all sustainability away and to kill off all competition, which would be all other species, and all in the name of this really compelling mother culture narrative that the one right way to live is to consume, 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 and that in itself will lead us somehow to happiness. Um, but instead, all of this movement towards progress and advancement has moved us just farther and further away from our connection to the environment and our place in the ecological law of nature. One of the great lines of that book is, only humans need to have books to teach them how to live. Every other creature or species is born knowing the right way to live. And so it was timely that this person was leaf blowing in the middle of the classroom because I was able to say this is a direct example of how this mother culture narrative so blindly leads us down this path of kind of self-destruction because there is no possible reason why we blow leaves around with a gas-powered machine only to have the leaves blow back into the yard or to go down the street. There's, there's absolutely no reason for it to exist. But it is to me, if I had a museum of the reasons humans' life is folly, it would be the leaf blower as the first <laughs> thing you saw when you walked into the museum. So it led to this great discussion with the students about what are the alternatives? What are the alternatives? Ishmael, uh, Daniel Quinn talks about in the book Ishmael that – there are two kinds of humans, the takers and the leavers. And the leavers are those who lived within the laws of nature that realized that they weren't a special species, but just another one of the species that made up the eco-diversity that is the planet. 
And the takers are the ones that have stepped out of their relationship with nature and believe in some ways that their role is to protect the environment as if it's separate from them, something off into the distance. And that the takers are the ones, again, who are compelled to keep utilizing and exploiting the natural world to maintain this unsustainable life. And so the question that was posed at the end of our discussion, or in midway, that became the main part of the discussion, was what would it look like then to live like a modern-day lever? Is there any possible way that you can break free of this mother culture narrative that is so compels and, and kind of runs the world? How could we individually, is there any way that we can be modern day leavers? Because we're not going to go back to living in huts or without electricity. That's not practical. And so we had a really uh, interesting conversation about what it would be to be a modern day lever and how things would have to change. But here's the thing. Before we could get to the part where they could even imagine that there would be a possibility of being a modern day lever, they had to imagine <laughs> that they had alternatives to the story that they are currently living. That the, the dominant story that they follow, which is the story we have raised them in, is that the key to success is education, big job, big money, lots of stuff, and then your life is great. They also, the generation, has some of the highest rates of mental health issues of any generation prior to them. And they have come to believe that that is a biological problem, disease that they individually have. And they don't see a connection between this impossible story they've been told to try to live and their struggles with their mental health. It's hard for them to imagine that. And the other piece is that when we talked about what what could you possibly do to help change the cultural story? Their responses were, we could do a campaign on our social media, or we could, you know, get together with people and educate them, or, and there was probably two or three others. And I said, but there's a more obvious thing you could do to change the course of our policies as a culture. What would that be? What would that be? And no one ever got there till I finally said, you could vote. And they Gee. looked at me with, with such surprise. Oh, it never occurred to us to actually vote. I've never been interested or no one ever talks about it or it doesn't seem like anything that would be possible. And so here is the thing for today's. There's a lot of things I hope that you want to talk about today. But here is the thing. We have successfully now raised a generation, maybe the last two that have completely lost their innate connection to their wildness. They are passive or maybe even uh, content consumers. And I believe a lot of it comes from our focus on STEM education, that we have gone all in. We went so far all in in the 1990s on STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and math, that we took out all of the humanities, which makes us human, the arts, the philosophy, the, the learning how to think and imagine other possibilities, to be able to use their reasoning skills, to be able to use their brain to creatively problem solve. I have great hope for the future and I love this generation, but something is greatly amiss. And 
the most difficult part of this conversation is to point fingers at something like STEM, which was supposed to have such a great lifting power for so many people who'd be able to, you know, improve their lives with a STEM education. The part that we missed is that, one, many, many, many of the STEM jobs have been replaced by AI. So there's a lot of people with a degree that they really can't use. And two, not everybody has the temperament or the, or the, or the mind that thinks in a STEM way. There's a lot of us who are more arts thinkers or free thinkers or divergent thinkers. And a lot of the really amazing things that have happened in the world were created through the minds of people that were considered mentally ill or would be considered mentally ill today. Great artists and divergent thinkers who drew wild designs um, that, that changed the course of human history. And yet we've in many ways, eradicated that way of thinking out of this generation. And for those that did think that way, we put them on medications so that they don't have the capacity to utilize that part of themselves. So those are all my thoughts that weave together to this question, which is, can we imagine a way to live as modern leavers? What would that look like? What, would, what do we need to do for our children and grandchildren so that they have the skills they're going to need to be able to thrive in a modern society? And this isn't a prepper conversation, and this isn't that the world is coming to an end conversation. It's none of those things. It's, for me, much more practical and pragmatic, is there are certain things we need to know how to do so that we feel our humanness. So this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and our number is 805-781-3875. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. You can leave me messages there. You can connect with me after the show by sending an email to elizabeth at thereluctanttherapist.com. But I'd love you to call in. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. 805-781-3875. We're going to take a quick break and come back and start or continue this conversation right here on Central Coast Public Radio, Kate. CBX. Come away, come away, leave it all far behind you. Cause it's not who you are and it's not what you wanted. And I can see, I can see the strength there inside you. Calling you, come away to where you're bright-eyed and hopeful Elizabeth Barrett. And this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. And our number is 805-781-3875 to be part of the conversation. I hope that I've piqued your curiosity or maybe struck a nerve or two, or maybe you found something that you resonated with. A lot of thoughts today, you know, a lot of thoughts. Um, I want to read you a quote by Emerson that I use in my class every quarter. 
when we talk about mental health and how we balance our mental health and well-being. And the students come in generally with the same belief system that their purpose in life is to be happy. They've been told by their parents since they were young, I don't care what you do, just be happy. But you do care. I do care what you do because it needs to be STEM. But I don't care what you do, just be happy as long as it's STEM because everything else would be a waste of time. But just do whatever you want and be happy. And so the students have this very narrow uh, understanding of how their mental health is supposed to work. And it generally evolves around if I study STEM and go to college, uh, all of the mental health, anxiety, depression, insecurity, loneliness, body dysmorphia, those common normative discontents that we see in young adults and adolescents, that will all magically go away once I've earned my degree and I'm on the path to building my life. But they don't find that. And when they don't find that relief, then they're told they have a biological disease, a mental illness that can only be cured through a medication. And yet they're still unhappy and it still doesn't work. And so I use this quote at the beginning and the end, kind of bookmark my quarter with it. And here's Emerson's take. The purpose of life is not to be happy. It is to be useful, to be compassionate, to have it make a difference that you have lived and lived well. What I talk about with the students, with my children, and with my friends, and with my husband, who I dragged in with me today, so he could counter maybe anything when I get too off the rails or add to it, is that everyone needs to have certain skills so that they feel like they're contributing to the greater good, which, is in ca- which counters what we've been telling young people since the 1970s in our hyper-individualistic society, which is telling them it's all about work, workism. Find your passion. Find your career. That's going to fill you. That's the most important thing. If you're with people that bring you down, cut ties with those people. Hyper-individualism, which really is at the center of our sense of loneliness and isolation, which then is the anxiety and depression. So the counter to that is this collective, this feeling that I belong to something greater than myself. That's why kids do so well with sports teams or teams of any kind or playing in a symphony. Because when you feel like you belong to something greater than yourself, you have this sense of belonging, this sense of contributions that you've contributed to something. And that settles and grounds our mental health. And so making sure that that's a part of our life, not just when our children are young, but moving into adulthood is also a key component to our mental health and wellness. But I would argue that one of the things would make a great difference in education, because I don't think we'll get rid of STEM, because STEM is driven by the corporate culture, and the corporate culture wants a lot of STEMIs out there, you know, doing their thing. But... We could also do an and this as part of the conversation. And this came up with the students yesterday. And I just want, to, I just want your take on it. Because here's the go back to the leaf blower guy <laughs> and how annoying it was. But what's also interesting is that on campus, there is a lot of landscaping, a lot of plants that have been put in all over around all these new buildings. A lot of time and effort goes into putting this landscape together and a lot of artisans are out there working the landscape constantly. And the thought came to us as to why wouldn't we as an agricultural school make the entire campus a food forest? 
if we're going to have people that are being paid to tend all the landscape, why don't we have them tend a food forest? Wow. Because we talk about food insecurity amongst the students. I, I don't know what the statistic is, but it's higher than you'd want it to be of students who are at the university who have food insecurity. They don't have access to food regularly. And so why wouldn't we want to be leaders in sustainability or changing this narrative or giving people a sense of belonging or for all the reasons why the food bank is so important or growing grounds nursery that transitions mental health runs? Why wouldn't this university turn put all that money that goes into landscape into food for us? So then students could get what they needed whenever they needed it. And it would be there for them. And then we could have classes as part of our GE. And this is, this is the other piece of this moving forward. And again, please jump in at 805-781-3875. I'd like to forget to give the number, but I know you're thinking about this. I know you got thoughts. 805-781-3875 is the number to be part of our conversation. All right, so we have the Cal Poly Food Forest. It could also happen at all the high schools and all the schools, any place that we're paying people with our tax dollars to landscape, mow, tend to grounds. We could have food grown there because there's someone there to tend to it. The other piece is we need to bring back some sort of home economics in some fashion so that the students leave school knowing how to do the basics, budget, <laughs> um, write a resume, uh, cook a meal, you know, those, those foundational things, uh, how to run for office. And so I came to get, I, up with this list, these like five things that I think would be really essential for people to know when they graduate from college or even from high school or before they left home. Um, I actually propose this to the fraternity system to come in as part of being a, in a fraternity that over the course of your four years, you would learn these five things, master them, and that's the way that you would then be fully vested in that fraternity. And part of your work would be then to teach and mentor the upcoming freshmen, sophomore, juniors in these skills. All right, so here are the skills I have. And I know, Chris, that you, you and I debated this, what they should be. But here's what I believe. Every person needs to learn how to fix things. Um, because there's common things that need to be fixed that wouldn't have to be thrown away and that would help reduce waste in the world. And again, we'd feel kind of mighty if we could fix things. And I really think it's sexy when you fix things. And so you're welcome. So that's a great skill. So everyone should know how to fix certain things. Everyone should know how to build certain things like a basic shelter or uh, a fire or a birdhouse or some sort of uh, hammer nails, building a fence, uh, common building things. So there's the fix and the build. Everyone needs to know how to make something, whether it's a meal, a business plan, art. That would be back in the build section. That's okay, yeah. Uh, but the making piece, make love. There's a lot of makings that we should learn to do. Um, and then there was the participate in something. And so that is needing to participate in your community, either running for office or being a, working for a nonprofit or sitting on the board of a nonprofit or sitting on one of the many, many um, different aspects of your city government. Everybody needs to participate in something in some way. And then number five, 
what was the number for? No, I can't find it in my head. Build something, fix something, make something, learn something. Love. Love something. Yes. Learn how to use your relationship skills, relationship skills to love others and therefore feel that joy within yourself. 805-781-3875 is the number to be part of our conversation. Lisa, clearly I have not overwhelmed you, so I'm glad you called in. <laughs> well, I, I just had this um, one little thing a long time ago. Um, I was talking to some people who lived in Templeton, and they said that they had tropical plants and they had palm trees. And I said, well, doesn't it get too cold for them? Don't you have to, like, maybe cover them up, you know, during the winter? And they said, oh, no, we just put Christmas lights on them, and it keeps them warm enough all winter. <laughs> and that's all I wanted to say about that. So. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Well, I it's interesting because there have been palm trees for as long as I've lived on the Central Coast, and I've never seen lights on them before. Um, so I don't know if that's just a reason for getting the lights up there. Well, I think some people think it's the aesthetic and they're sharing the beauty with the neighborhood. Maybe they grew up that way, you know, their family or culture. But the burning the energy and the not having a dark sky at night, um, it's invasive, intrusive to me. Yeah. Well, and I guess when I'm trying to get down to the to underneath all of this is what is the the story we've been told about what it is to live a, a, a life well lived. What does that look like? What is the purpose for being here? And when I see things like the sphere and lights in a palm tree in places that are naturally beautiful and don't need to be enhanced, it just feels to me like steps further and further away from that natural essence of what it is to be alive. And that, that, concerns me because when we step further and further away from what it means to be alive, then we start to see the mental health repercussions of that. You know, part of, again, going back to Ishmael, the book we're talking about is he makes a direct connection between our modern day mental health issues like depression and anxiety and how they are directly related to hyperconsumption and materialism and, um, this disconnect from something greater than ourselves, and we know those things, which is why it just astounds me. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm not creating new ideas. This whole, you know, the whole back to nature movement or back to land movement has there's evidence from the 1890s uh, in Germany that there was concerns about um, urban life and how it was harming people's well-being and this you know, kind of plea to return back to more uh, natural and simpler ways of living. And then there's been different movements all the way through. You know, the last big movement was really in the 1960s and 70s. So this isn't a new idea, um, but I if we don't keep talking about the alternative ways of being, then we lose the next generations because they'll, they won't even know the history to be able to recall it because now the education they're getting is so hyper-technology based that it really doesn't tap into history very much. And unless you are in the humanities or, you know, you take AP history, but that doesn't even cover it all, we're losing that tie, that history 
um, that would help young people look back and know of alternative ways of being or alternative ways of living. But we're so hyper speed forward, all things technology, um, that for these young people that are coming up today, again, it wouldn't even occur to them that they can bring about any sort of change because they can't imagine what any sort of change would look like. They can't even envision that there's an alternative way of living other than the life that's presented right in front of them. And it's full of lights and buzzers and flashings and, you know, rewards for hitting the right button. It's, it's, they've been so trained by all of the technological algorithms that feed and, and right, feed their reward system that they never even get bored enough or curious enough to think about another way of being. Yeah, I mean, so many people are lo- so many people are lost. We we've lost our way, and it's like back to nature. The, the I think there's a lot of people that didn't know there was a nature back there. That, that this is the way they are. They like it, and nature. Ew, it's dirty, and and you know, there's thorns, and uh, you know, ew. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad. It's really sad. This is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and I start off the show talking about kind of – I don't even know what I what the beginning was, but the thought is how have we lost our way with the next generation? Is there any hope for appreciating, finding a, a common ground, a, a love of the collective – Lots of different thoughts. It all started with a leaf blower, let's be honest, and some lights on a palm tree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk to Thomas and take your calls, 805-781-3875. You're listening to Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. I took my love and I took it down. Climbed a mountain and I turned around. And I saw my in the snow-covered hills Where the landslide brought me down Oh, mirror in the sky What is love? I took my love, I took it down Climbed a mountain and I turned around And I saw my I'm Elizabeth Baird, and this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. And Thomas, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. What's on your mind today? Well, uh, doctor, I I just want to make a comment. Okay. Um, Our two children, both college educated. One went to UC California, Long Beach, and the other one went to UCSB. And they don't want to do anything. Hmm. They don't want to do anything. They 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 aren't doing any serious jobs. I got one child who majored in biology, got good grades. He was going to be pre-med, and now he doesn't want to do anything. He says he was traumatized because his first year of college, he didn't live in a dormitory. Hmm. I mean, it's just like, I don't know what's wrong with these children. When I got out of college, I worked. I didn't make a lot, but I worked. And it's like these children are college educated. They both have their bar mitzvahs, and I don't know what to do with them. Are they living at home with you still? 
They're living with my ex-wife. Nah. So you don't have a lot of say in that either. It's just, you know, Tony Soprano would throw them out or <laughs> force them to get a job. I can't do that. Yeah. And it's very frustrating because I don't want them to live their whole life at home. Yeah. They have no motivation. It's just very sad. It is sad. And it's interesting because you're bringing up something that uh, has been started to be called the snowplow parents that are, are trying to clear the way of anything that might make their kids uncomfortable. I, I, I don't know what's wrong with them. Yeah. I have no idea. They were not beaten. I never spanked them. They went, they got scholarships through college, and now they don't want to do anything. Mm. I mean, one of my children started off wanting to be a doctor, then a physician's assistant, then work in physical therapy, then the Peace Corps. <laughs> now he doesn't want to do anything. Lost all motivation. And I can imagine, Thomas, that'd be heartbreaking, too, because you have... Is, is, is that, have you heard other parents who have children like this? Yes. Yes. You're not alone. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I do the show and I talk about what's happening to this younger generation, because there is a, a great deal of concern that our modern day parenting, our parenting, again, not that you did anything wrong, but the narrative, the story that parents are being told is you need to make sure your children haven't been traumatized or that they get mental health care or they go to see a therapist or, you know, it, it, a lot of the story around how to parent well got us into trouble because it, it caused parents to do too much for kids and not tell them or tell, you know, expect them to leave home at 18 or to realize that they're adults when they finish college. You know, the, the narrative of our culture, which I started off talking about, is one that says we want everyone to feel good and happy. And if they're not, it's our fault as parents. And so we need to do whatever we can to make them happy. The problem with that is no one is happy when their life has no challenge to it. You know that. You've been working since you were young. All, all yeah. of those things that we know inherently is that people find happiness when they're contributing and feeling like they matter and belong. We know that inherently, but this cultural story about mental health and caring for others has gotten so loud that parents lost their confidence in what they knew which was right, which was, I raised you well, go live your life. I hope I yeah, see you at and, Christmas. You know, he's seeing a counselor twice a week. Okay. And, you know, it's crazy saying that he's traumatized because he didn't live in a dormitory because the first two years he went to Santa Barbara City College and then transferred to UCSB. He's traumatized because he didn't live in a dormitory. He didn't have the dormitory experience. He's alienated my side of the family. You know, uh, they treated him well, took him to New York City, showed him the sights, been everywhere. They paid for everything. And then because of a, a, a funny look or some cuckoo thing, oh, oh, you traumatized me. And he sent emails to my relatives saying that he was traumatized. And I've never heard of this. He's, he's not going to be able to have any job. A manager says something, oh, oh, he, he was rude to me. I'm traumatized. 
Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. I've never heard of anything like this. Well, Thomas, I do encourage you that you're not alone and do a little Google searching of estranged parents from adult children because there's a whole community and multiple books that have been written just in the last few years about this issue. So please do a little Google search, estranged parents of adult children. And I think that might give you a little place to start. And there's actually uh, some support groups that are online um, that have a place for parents like yourself to come together and kind of work through it. And I, I hope that helps. And I appreciate you giving me a call today. Oh, that, that is part of the dilemma of the cultural narrative. And when we're doing what we think we are told is the best way to live and it doesn't end up well, we have a lot of lost children and a lot of lost people. 805-781-3875 is our number. And John, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Hi. Hi. You're on the air. What's on your mind? Well, first of all, I, I just want to compliment you. I've listened to your show whenever I happen to be in the car, and uh, it, it's a great show. And this, I think, is the best episode of all your shows. I know you felt... You weren't sure if this was a direction you should pursue, but I got to tell you, you are hitting the nail on the head. And, Thank you. Uh, I have so many thoughts about it and questions, but um, I'll try to be brief because okay. you're probably going to have some other callers. Um, first of all, was it, was that Emerson quote from his uh, essay on self-reliance? I, uh, I can't tell you the direct source of that. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, it, in, anyway, the point is that that was his... Uh, that's what he preached to mm -hmm. the American romantics, right? Mm -hmm. The self-reliance. Yes, and absolutely. And so that quote is really a beautiful expression of that philosophy. And then your list of things to do. Um, and, and I really tried to convey those same messages to my children. But in some cases it took, in some cases it didn't take. Uh, so I think that the generational issues here on the on the individuals to some extent. One thing we did in our house, which made a big difference, is we eliminated instant messaging and social media mm. back in the day when you could do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a market increase in the productivity and happiness of our children when we did that. We also didn't have any a commercial television for like you know ten years. So um, I think blocking out the noise of the world is a really, really important thing to children so they can discover, um, you know, and be a little bored and figure out things on their own. Um, I, I wanted to mention something about your list that really caught my attention. Mm -hmm. and that is, uh, I, I'm not the first person to say this, but really uh, lots of philosophers believe the secret to happiness is to be creative Yes, in whatever way you can be creative. You yes. call it making things, but yes. I call it being creative. And San Luis Obispo leads the world in existentialism and creativity because people here have to create their lives. You don't very easily get a life off the shelf here. Hmm. So that's why uh, people are much happier here than they are in lots of other places. But if you're not pursuing uh, avocation or dedication uh, to community or doing things that are creative, then you are going to spiral into a, a, a place of uh, self-doubt and anxieties, as you mentioned. So I, I guess I would encourage everybody that's dealing with adult children or their own selves that 
finding a creative space, even if you're like me with no creative skills, maybe your creativity is um, designing a project or, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, uh, that's that's the place that you're going to find happiness. And it's not hard to pursue. It's not hard to become a baker, you know, or (laughs) cook meals. Anyway, I'd like to know, can... Can we get copies of this show? I, I've already written down the name of the book. Uh, uh, John Quinn, I think you said, no, was it's the author. Daniel, Daniel yeah. Quinn. Oh, Daniel Quinn. Okay. And the book Daniel is Ishma- Ishmael. And I actually, yeah. when you deep dive into my shows, John, if you look for The Reluctant Therapist, Daniel Quinn, I got to interview Daniel a few years back. I flew out to Houston and oh. met him. He's, he was remarkable. So oh. read the book and then hear the interview. And uh, Brad is great about posting the show to our KCBX website. As soon as the show's over, you'll have access to it, today's show, yeah, all the shows. I'm going to have my son listen to your show. Thank it, you, John. It's, uh, it's the greatest speech. And Ishmael, of course, was the opening line of Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I'm really intrigued. Good. Go well, call me, call me back or send me an email after you read the book. I'd love to know your thoughts. Yeah, appreciate it. Great show. Thank Thank you. you. Take care. This is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and our number is 805-781-3875. Franklin, it's your turn. You're on the air. Hello. Uh, Yes, I've always enjoyed your show. Thank you. And I'm a graduate of Cal Poly. Congratulations. I graduated in the 60s, and it was a college then, not a university. Mm -hmm. It was run by a dictator who, at that time, he got upset and he eliminated all the humanities, all the arts and things from the school. But I was an Aggie, mm-hmm. and we had this wonderful thing going on. The theme was learn by doing. Mm-hmm. When you talk about building and fixing, we had to do that. Absolutely. And I think even in home economics was included. All this and that, you know, it's, uh, it was, it's gone a long way, but back it's, no one could believe it. Cal Poly used to have married student housing. Oh. A place called Vetville. Didn't know that. It was on campus. There was something left over from the Vietnam era, I think, and they, I was the last resident there. But it was the, <laughs> the rent was $25 a month for a one bedroom. <laughs> I would or have never left school. $25 for a two bedroom. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and the tuition at that time was fifty dollars a quarter. It was I could education to go for to all. School then. Yeah, I could afford to go there, and uh, but I was a little disappointed by the you know the uh, industrial agriculture they were teaching there, sponsored by big ag. Yeah, and I had, I had taught myself before I went there a, a lot of organic things that they didn't teach. They're taught by Rodale Press. They had no clue about organic agriculture then. Right. I think that things got it got very compelling to go corporate. There's a lot of money uh, that comes into the university, and I think that that shifted things. They do have some organics uh, that are happening on campus, but not it, a ton. It's come a long way in, in that they have something there because there's big, big money in organic agriculture. Yeah, you you would think it's coming around. Well, and Franklin, I, I as I said before, I do have high hopes uh, for this next generation because they're intelligent. This is an intelligent group of young people that are coming through. It's just they're they're missing the exposure to those things that would be so helpful for them to live a full and. Uh, 
satisfying life. And I think that's part of what I wanted to bring up today is we have too narrow of a lens of what it looks like to have a, a, a full, thriving life. And that in order for us to imagine our ways into new ways of being, we have to raise our children to have an imagination, to, to tap into their creativity. I think John said he didn't have any creativity. Every single human has creativity. Our job is to figure out in what areas we are creative. And in order to figure that out, we have to have the space and opportunities to let the creative thoughts bubble up. 805-781-3875 is our number. And Linda, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Hi, Elizabeth. Um, Hi. You have no idea how this topic just, it, it, it's, it's wonderful that you're doing this show today. Thank you. Um, I'm a shy Indiana girl that grew up um, chasing lightning bugs on a uh, riverbank yes. rather than watching TV. So yes. I just, I really love nature. And when I first moved to the Central Coast, I was just, I, I love the fact that the, the night skies were so dark, you could see everything. Um at one point, I was living in Santa Margarita um, off of Park Hill Road. So it's back in, I guess it was 97, during the time of the Hale-Bopp com- Comet. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so I, I spent a lot of time outside during at that time. And uh, one night, I was out there trying to see the comet. And um, uh, uh, something flew over uh, the house. It was There were three lights. Uh, it was very large. There was no sound, um, so it wasn't three jets. Uh, they were equal-spaced, and uh, they just flew uh, information across the sky. I, I didn't have the presence of mind to try to notice whether or not they were blocking out the stars as, it, as this formation flew over, but it was, it was amazing, absolutely wow. amazing. Um, you know, so, um, and it was around that time that they were seeing the Phoenix lights and other things were happening um, in the country nearby, uh, I think you know be, people were noticing it because of Hale Bob. But anyway, um, it was it was amazing. Um, and at the time, uh, in the, the area where I was, there weren't a lot of ground lights. Well, later that changed. Um, I ended up living on Highway 58, and when I first moved here, um, also there weren't a lot of ground lights. And there was a, a, a meteor shower one year. I don't remember what exactly when it was that the skies were so dark here that people were were driving in from other areas and pulling over on the side of Highway 58 to watch the meteors. Mm-hmm. And since, since that time, a lot of people have put up big spotlights. So, you know, you, our view has been so obliterated. But uh, I just, I really appreciate this topic because people just don't realize what we're losing. Yes. Um, you know, so... Um, I appreciate that, Linda. Thank you. And that's a wild experience. I hope that you uh, share it (laughs) with someone at NASA because I know they're uh, checking into there or they're doing research on that now. Linda, thanks for taking the time to call. This has been a, this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. And, you know, again, while I'm picking on light things and maybe I am the Grinch of all things, but the whole light exhibition they had up in North County and Paso, I don't know if it's still there, is so offensive to me. Again, it's like that's the opposite of what we should be looking for is some man-made light fixtures. We, just as Linda was saying, it's in the sky that there's all this magic happening that we've almost been turned away from. It's like our psyche and our attention has been turned away from all the natural wonders that happen around us. And then our kids think that the only entertainment comes in the forms of electronic lights and buzz and, um, you know, 
Uh, enough of that. Yes, Brad. Well, I wanted to tell you, I, I need to come kind of come clean here. That uh, you have lights on your house. I have. Well, I have lights on. I had had for several years until they gave up the ghost. I had some lights on my palm tree out front. Now I'm going to tell you that the neighborhood that I live in in, in Napomo, there are no street lights anywhere. And when everybody turns off their lights, it's very dark. And if you go in my backyard, very little light pollution. But the one thing that I can say in our defense is that when we've had a lot of the lights turned down in the neighborhood, we've had crime and property crime come up. And so it's been a it, it's been a kind of a slippery slope, but I am definitely guilty of the, the lights. But now, as far as the power, I always use solar. So for thank my, you for, for that my, part. I appreciate yeah. that. And, and, I, and again, I, I, I hear those arguments. I know. It, we have neighbors that have all their spotlights on in front of their house. So it's like we're, there's a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety about crime. And, and again, that's another topic for another time. But it, it wouldn't be a topic for this time if we didn't have a cultural story that was driven by fear and people feeling isolated and people feeling disconnected from their community and people feeling that they have to be weary of their neighbors. Like a lot of it all plays into that same cultural story that everyone is our enemy and our competition and that only those with the most stuff wins. Agreed. It's all It all builds in. 805-781-3875 is our number. And Janet, you're on the air. What's on your mind today? <clears throat> and you might have to turn down your phone too, please. Turn off, I mean, your radio. Is that good? Hello? Hello. Hi. Um, I, so I was driving, and I pulled over. I got a coffee, and I'm listening, okay. and I have an 18-month-old at home. Aww. And um, he's, he's, he's being watched by someone else. <laughs> um, and it just, yeah, it brings up kind of a lot of stuff. And I was listening to the gentleman's story about his... Um, son out of college and you know these it's a little it scares me mm-hmm. it really scares me it's like am I doing everything right am I which the answer is no but <laughs> um, am I doing some of the things right mm-hmm. um, you know we don't do screen time I was in marketing in the Bay Area for years so I know about kind of the big you know social media push and all of that and so I don't have social media my husband doesn't have social media we don't do screen time. We, we don't watch TV. He, our 18-month-old doesn't know what it is. We don't give him our phone. If he ever finds the phone, he kind of hands it to us, um, you know, and we're going to try and do that for as long as we can. Um, but then there's, you know, but is that for how long and is that the right answer? And, you know, he at Target, they have these little balls that light up, and he got some for the holiday, and so he's rolling these balls around and they light up, mm-hmm. they light up, they light up. And he's just like so excited. And it's been like a thing for the past few days. So I'm like, should we not be giving him those balls to light up? Right. Everything <laughs> you know? feels like it's, it's leading the wrong path. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, so it's like, you know, as I guess, you know, I'm I'm listening to people call in and their stories and, um, I'm, you know, my husband and I were actively kind of doing things to, in in response to a lot of these things that we've heard in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing today. I've heard in the past, mm-hmm. but 
you know, are we going to get it right? Is there something else that we are going to overdo that we should have gone in a different direction or we should have taken a step back? And mm-hmm. um, can I, you know, I'm going to yeah. give, mm-hmm. give you some, some loving care, Janet. Number one, you're doing everything right for the 18-month-old 18 month right now by thinking about all of these things that feel important and are the values of you and your husband. But the greatest gift you can give your child, and this is universal for all parents, the greatest gift you can give your children is to live the life that you would like them to live themselves. Because the greatest teacher they're going to have is being modeled by you and your husband. And so how you choose to live your life, how you love each other, how you treat each other, the things that you enjoy, the ways that you care for yourself, if you put the focus on living a life that you would love your child to also live, that's the path. That's the path to success. Yeah, that's intense. (laughs) <laughs> it is but intense. Very good, very good advice. I guess I should start washing my hair, right? <laughs> I want him to watch his hair. <laughs> yeah, all those other simple things, exactly. All the other stuff like self-care, yes. right? So yes. even things like that, like, you know, I worry so much about him yes. and which I'm supposed to do, right? But I also, there's, you know, a marriage. There's yes. a partnership. Yes. There's all the you know, how I, how, how I am with my neighbor, how I talk yes. about my neighbor, how yes. I, I love my neighbors, by the way, but you know, it's just, or my friends or setting the example, leading by example, yes. I guess is what you're, yeah. I'm a hundred percent saying that because that'll also take, I hope some pressure and focus off your child because it's a lot of intensity for children to have their parents a thousand percent focus on them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine the pressure yeah. to be that child. And so is as parents talk if, about trauma well. uh, exactly it's like there was i was the most important thing to them and if i do anything wrong then my parents feel like they failed like that's a lot of pressure so it totally is. I, I want to encourage oh, you but i also want to tell you because i have my husband sitting next to me we've been together almost 45 years we've been together since i was 19 mm-hmm. and wow. we very early on we lost our way at the beginning but we found our way back and we made this commitment that our relationship's the most important part of our family. And when we're doing well, everyone does well. See, a lot of people feel like if the kids are okay, everyone else is like, no. If we're well, right. everyone's well. Because our children look to us to know if the world is safe and okay. They look to us to know if they're okay themselves. And so when parents aren't doing well, kids start to feel anxious and depressed. Right? <laughs> right? right. And so that's right. your assignment. That's your assignment. Love on this partner. Create this loving space where you enjoy time together because you want your child to choose a partner that they get that same joy with. That, that's right. the key and right. the magic to life. And I think we have drowned that out with all of this concern about should it be a light-up ball? Should they go to preschool? Should they do STEM? <laughs> right? Like All of that's a little bit of the noise along the way. Um, but if a child yeah. has a really strong sense of belonging to a family that has their unique story and feels special, the rest of it's just noise. Right. Yeah. You're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. The fact that you pulled over and made a phone call tells me that you're doing a great job. And I'm cheering. I'm cheering for you a hundred (laughs) percent. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time to call. Call anytime. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Bye. 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 
Really good call. What good advice. You think so? Yeah, but you know, when I was a young, young engineer, I, I took a job in a corporate world that had government contracts and I drank <laughs> the Kool-Aid a little bit. But mm-hmm. We um, enjoyed that Kool-Aid. Uh, yeah, but it wasn't always, you know, um, my 100% value, but um, our kids watched us, our marriage, and mm-hmm. and then they've... We think they're okay. Yeah. We're not estranged yet, they so seem, we're doing right. They seem to be well-adjusted. As we close out the show today, Brad, thanks so much for filling all the calls. I also want to take a moment to thank my husband uh, for taking care of our family. Today is his 40th anniversary with Lockheed, and that's quite an accomplishment. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. I don't think he thought he'd be there for 40 years, but nope. it, it's afforded us a really, really nice life. And I also want to mention that because I don't want people to think that we live in a yurt down by the creek and off the grid. You know, we've lived a pretty traditional life uh, all of our time here on the Central Coast. We've learned a lot of things along the way and shifted our focus and wanted our kids to have different experiences. And so I think the key to all of this is how do we find as much love and simplicity so that our lives feel full without needing a lot of external stimulation. This has been a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett. You can send me an email to elizabeth at thereluctanttherapist.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Listen to previous shows at kcbx.org or podcast my show. Share it with your friends. As always, thank you for tuning in, listening, and supporting Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. The heart is a blue. Shoots up through the stony ground. There's no room. Space to rent in this town You're out of luck And the reason that you had to care The traffic is stuck And you're not moving anywhere You thought you found a friend To take you out of this place Someone you can lend a hand In return for grace so be